The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Cheers, Another Premier League game without a Liverpool goal, and the title race now looks wider than ever with the top six separated by just five points. So, where are the goals gone for the Reds? What's Jurgen doing about it? James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiever O'Neill with myself, Steve Hothersall, for The Red Agenda. Now, throughout January, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than £1 a week. Just go to theathletic.com slash Pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com slash Pod. So was it another game that made you doubt Liverpool will retain the Premier League title? James Pearce. James, what do you reckon? It's a difficult one to make sense of. It felt going into Sunday's game that the stakes were so high in terms of, you know, win and the frustration of recent weeks is is washed away and everything is positive again. And, you know, Liverpool will be back on top of the table. And the flip side and the fear, I think, in your belly was lose and suddenly the blip becomes something much more serious and there's there's a real gap there as, as it was it was it was neither one or the other was it so I thought there were actually positives to take from it I thought Liverpool where they've started games so slowly in recent weeks they actually really imposed themselves on United I thought the first half performance was good you know counter-pressed as well as they've done for quite a while forced mistakes just didn't really create enough. The final ball was lacking the decision-making at times and Firmino probably had the two best chances and, and squandered them. And then you know, I think where the doubts creep in is is where Liverpool lost their way second half because that was the big disappointment for me. They they let United off the hook and in the end, probably lucky, you know, they were indebted to, to Alison Becker to to save their blushes because, um, you know, United had two big chances late on to win it. Kiva, what's the, the psychology behind Jürgen's comments afterwards when, it, when he was talking about a battle to make the, the, the top four? I mean, obviously in all our heads, and James just said it then, halfway through the season, plenty of games to play and Liverpool still stand as good a chance. But all of a sudden he's, he's made a comment there that makes you think, is, is he looking at it a different way now? This team are made for winning and that'll be, you know, exactly what the team meeting will be about today, won't it? Just how they need to get back on track. I think him just saying that is probably, I don't know, just feels like a bit of a subtle sort of way of saying, you know, it's a mad season and that's, you know, what what we'll do. But I don't know, it doesn't feel like the true Jürgen, does it? Maybe sometimes we, we get that Jürgen after games, don't we, that isn't quite himself and says things that doesn't really seem sort of as though what he's thinking maybe it's a good way of just sort of putting people off a little bit and saying yeah well you know we're we're not the team fighting for the title now so maybe people will bring that less one percent what they've been bringing this season which seems to have stopped Liverpool in the tracks many times um but yeah I don't I don't think it's not much to worry about I personally thought it was a a bigger opportunity for Man United because Liverpool are now 68 games unbeaten at home you know it's going to be four years in April to take that and end that run that would have been massive for United I know obviously they kept the the good away record up but 
But you do feel like that was the one that got away from them almost. I feel like Liverpool now can sort of put these run of games behind them. Obviously, three games without a goal is just crazy for this team. But then having said that, this is the team who had scored in every Premier League game, I think, and no one else had, like, for the longest. So, you know, they, they play Burnley, who are obviously a very defensive team, but I'm sure, you know, if they can kick into gear there, we can hopefully have a, a similar game to maybe Crystal Palace, which now feels very far away. And why didn't he take them finishes and put them in a few other games? So James and Kiva don't sound too negative. Si, what about yourself? I wonder whether Jürgen's <laughs> been listening to the Red Agenda because you made that comment about the top four, didn't you, a week ago? And I saw it on social media. Um, hmm. You got slightly battered by a couple of people who were saying, how dare you talk about Liverpool being top four contenders? Well, I was just being pragmatic, Steve. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to look at look at what's around, yeah, and look at the position of Liverpool and the points difference between them and, and other clubs. And it's very tight, isn't it? I mean, you can't just say, well, we're going to automatically think we're going to make top four when it's as tight as it is. And you know, I was just reading through his quotes then after after you mentioned them, and you know, it's 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 a stark reality. I mean, Liverpool do need to qualify for the. The Champions League, you know, because financially, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, you know, it's there is an economic reality to everything that Liverpool do. So if you take Champions League money out of the equation, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for Liverpool. So, but you're not worried it won't happen, are you, Si? I, I would always back Liverpool to get in there, but I think they're going to have to they're going to have to improve dramatically. I think to to ensure that that's the case, they can't carry on dropping points as regularly as they have. I think, the, you know, you look at the number of draws that they've had this season. Is it, what, are they up to seven now already? Uh, I think I might be wrong. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's it's too many draws as well. You know, the, the draws often kill teams when they're, they're trying to win trophies that can be very damaging, you know, and you get into that logarithm of sort of settling for a draw when you need to go and win. And I think Liverpool have got into that that sort of psyche at the moment. So, I mean, I, obviously you'd, you'd back Liverpool to get there. They, they've been through this this sort of race over the last sort of two or three seasons, two or three, four seasons, even when they got into the Champions League for the first time. Under Jürgen Klopp, it went down to the final day, if I remember correctly. So they, they are used to being playing under this pressure, but it's just such a an unusual football season, unlike any other. Strange things are happening and they need to get out of this rough pretty quickly. I mean, I, I've, I've said all along, I think if Liverpool get to sort of the other side of January in in a reasonable position in touch and distance of the of the first position whether it's being top or, or second or even third you'd always fancy Liverpool to finish the season strongly because that's what they've done under Jürgen Klopp but I, I just think that they're really missing Jordan Henderson Fabinho midfield both played very well again yesterday Fabinho has been one of Liverpool's players of the season you know I think he's been outstanding playing a position that he'd, he'd barely played before in his career and, and has done excellently but they've, they've missed him desperately in the middle of midfield uh, you know just in terms of the, the press and high up the pitch and winning the ball and creating those little opportunities for the for the attacking players to to go and do what they do and at the moment it, it's not clicking an attack it's not clicking in the full back positions the midfield is a bit disjointed the two centre halves are unfamiliar you know it's 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 not a surprise that Liverpool really uh, not getting the results that they want when, when you take all of that into consideration yeah, not the same Liverpool that sort of pushed opponents aside last season, sprinted to the finishing line. They had an invincibility, James, didn't they, last season? So so let's look at why. One of the things I've heard, and maybe we're thinking ourselves, is they've been playing with such intensity for such a long period 
that it's impossible to maintain. Yeah, I think that's part of it because, you know, I think we saw that with, with City that with the drop off in them last season that it is very difficult to, to maintain the kind of standards that had never been seen in English football before, you know, for Liverpool to get 97 points and then 99 with all the circumstances as well. that A drop off was inevitable, but, you know, I don't think anyone expected the drop off to be quite as severe as it has been. You know, as, as Simon said, then, you know, seven draws, two defeats. Liverpool have won as many league games as they failed to win in the first half of the season. So it's been a real, a real grind and a, and a real battle. There's no getting away from the fact that injuries have hurt them. You know, again, watching that game yesterday, you, know, you, just, you just felt, you know, as well as Fabinho and Henderson did at centre-half, and I thought, you know, both of them have shown they can play that role. You know, how, how much better would Liverpool have been with those two in midfield with, with Thiago? That would have been, you know, to me, that is Liverpool's best midfield. More than likely, we won't actually see that midfield play together again this season. I think they only played the once together at Goodison, so... For where momentum carried Liverpool through for so long. Now Klopp has got real problems to try and solve. I think you know it's it's hard to believe that a team packed with so much attacking talent has now gone. I think was it 348 Premier League minutes without a goal. You know you have to go back to I think it was what was it just after Christmas for Sadio Mane against West Brom, which is you know is is, is crazy. But, but the one thing about Klopp's comments post match, which I which kind of, and, and I thought, you know, Jordan Henderson said, I thought we did enough to win the game. And I thought, well, we didn't. You know, that, that's just not, that's not true. And Klopp talking about missed chances. Well, to me, it's not missing chances, which is the real problem at the moment. It's not creating them. You know, keepers aren't having to pull off save after save. I think it's, it's 10 shots on target in the last four games combined, which just isn't good enough. A couple of opportunities for Firmino, though, which you would have expected far better from him, James. Yeah, and I think... But I think the way in which, you know, he, you know, I think he, he kind of really snatched at the first one, didn't he? And, and missed it by a mile. And the second one, he just couldn't seem to get the ball out from under his feet and, and fired very tamely at, at David De Gea. And I, th- I think that was almost symptomatic of, of the kind of the lack of confidence in the, in the final third and players overthinking things. I think that's the thing where, where a lot of the time it's been off the cuff and it's been natural and, you know, I think it does prey on people's minds. And, you know, the, the longer you go, the more it becomes a talking point. You know, you can't ignore all that noise that, that goes around such a barren run. I think quite clearly, Kiever, it's the most challenging period Liverpool's front three have ever faced. You know, that goal shy at the moment. Three games without a goal. I know, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, especially the we sort of had that little Aston Miller game in the middle of it. Um, just you thought that would get them fired. And again, obviously they scored and, you know, um, Salad and Mane did. And you, you just felt like, you know, this could be this could be them. Just, you know, they found the net now, they found the shooting boots and carry it on. But yesterday they didn't look like doing anything, did they really? I think Mane had a, a few good runs and looked, you know, strong and as though he, he had the strength to go back past people and the courage almost. But I don't know, Salah seems to be lacking in that as much as Mane probably is as well. I don't know if they've got that little bit of confidence that they used to have. Like every time Salah gets the ball, you just want him to push past people. That's all I kept shouting at me TV. Just go, just go, run, do it. Do what you, you do all the time. It just seems like the ball's getting stuck under his feet and it's the same for for Mane at times as well. And then Firmino, you know, as James mentioned, it was poor from him. That sort of clinical edge you needed in them moments that would have saw Liverpool really run away with that game quite early on, but he just didn't have that, that clinical edge. 
Is it a blip, Kiva? I don't know. The goal scoring record should speak for itself. And, I, you know, they'll continue to score goals as they have done all season. Yeah, it's a little bit worrying. And you do kind of think, oh, God, they're not getting into that sort of age so now are they where they're just starting to drop off a little bit because I'm, I'm not too um not too I'm a little, only a little bit younger than them so it is worrying um but they'll find the feet again and I feel like as I mentioned before Burnley at home just feels like the game that can sort of kick Liverpool into gear it's another home game we know how that record speaks for itself at home and I don't know it's it just feels like the defensive situation is having a massive impact on the attacking situation as well as obviously the injuries don't help because you feel like if Jota was Firmino yesterday and he was in there or he, he was just in there anyway, then I think then chances would have been put away. Got our finger on the pulse at the red agenda. It was only a couple of weeks ago, Si, we were talking about how this could be Salah's greatest ever season. <laughs> uh, things seem to have gone off. Did I say no, that? I think, I think I said it. Um, right. It seems to have gone slightly off the cliff. There's people sort of linking it to this interview that he, that he did with, with <laughs> AS. Is that just a convenient excuse or reason or th- something to you know look under the rock and find? Well, I'd be, I'd be surprised if somebody who particularly on the pitch, is as dedicated and professional as him. It's affected him in, in any way or the reaction to it. I think he's had quite a gentle ride off Liverpool fans, to be honest, you know, in terms of the timing of the interview, who he gave it to and what he said. I was quite surprised that there wasn't more sort of a concern around it. But, I mean, it's not just Salah, is it? It's, it's not just him. It's a collective thing at the moment. We've spoken about Firmino, who was, I would say, at his worst yesterday, snatching at pretty much everything that he did when he got the ball. It was like a hot potato, wasn't it? Couldn't couldn't seem to get his feet sorted. Mane, pretty ineffective, I thought. And, and Salah as well, you know, didn't, wasn't willing to have a go at Luke Shaw, who I did think had a good game yesterday, in fairness. I think you've got to give credit when it's true and uh, one of his better performances, I would say. So, um, and I, I said last week, I mean, I think part of the same problem is the South Southampton game really where you've got the two full backs not quite well certainly not not performing to the levels that they've have in previous seasons I think Andy Robertson wasn't able to get as high up the pitch and, and create the space for Mane to go to go and try and hurt defenders and and similarly on the other side you know it was, it was Trent was very up and down with his passing sometimes sometimes some crossfield passing was excellent sometimes it, it certainly wasn't and I mean I, I spoke a little bit about, about this yesterday we had the pre-match preview uh, which which uh, Adam Leventhal hosted and I think Liverpool at the moment you're seeing that they're not able to to, to switch the play as 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 much as the they have done, and I, I think that that goes back to Van Dijk as well. You know that the fact that two, three, four times in a game Van Dijk would play one of those raking crossfield passes, which would open the whole game up and allow Liverpool to overload and as much as they missed him in defensive situations, I think they missed him in a creative sense as well. And without Thiago being available to do that at the same time, I know he was yesterday. I think it's just it's led to a lack of variety in Liverpool's play, and it's culminated in this ultimately. I mean, I thought Thiago did, did well yesterday. I thought there were some good performers yesterday as individuals. I thought Shakiri had a had a decent game. I thought Fabinho was excellent. Henderson did well at centre half. Thiago very very good, but it wasn't enough to get Liverpool a victory. I, I, I thought a draw was probably a, a fair result yesterday. I, I've got to say, I think 
United did okay, but I don't think I think it was more Liverpool not not doing what they can do and and not necessarily United forcing them to to sort of to make other decisions. I just thought it was a very weak second half performance and Salah going back to the beginning was was just a a part of that. You know, I don't think you can this Liverpool team over the last few years it, it it's often been that the success of the team has been because of the collective, not because of the individual necessarily so much. And at the moment, the collective isn't isn't clicking for a variety of reasons. It's the Red Agenda, your Liverpool-dedicated uh, podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Steve Hoversall. As always, Simon Hughes, Kiva O'Neill and James Pearce, uh, the panel. There's a, there's a big conversation about the collective and when we're talking about goals because James players aren't contributing from other areas of the pitch and that's not really the conversation at the moment because the front three that sort of takes the spotlight. But if you go across the defence, the top scorers, Joel Matip, Andy Robertson, one each. The midfield, Genie Henderson, one goal each. Now, last season, Liverpool contributed 33 goals from other areas. Yeah, and, and that is that is the, the, the major issue, isn't it? There's no one else easing the burden on the front three. And, and you know, that, and I think that's another big shift, isn't it, from last season? Because last season we talked about what made Liverpool so special is being able to hurt teams in so many different ways. I think, um, you know, probably another kind of under-talked-about factor of losing Van Dijk is is the reduction in Liverpool's threat from from set pieces. You know, Liverpool Liverpool were the set piece kings of the of the Premier League. You know, now, you know, again yesterday you saw corners being taken short and it ends up going back and back and back and. Where where before you you saw a corner as being you know a, leading to a potential goal you, you just don't feel that at the moment with certainly the absence of Van Dijk and of course no Matip as well um, you know as Simon said the fullbacks aren't being as influential I wonder whether you know I think part of that is down to the fact that Trent Alexander Arnold is enduring the first proper you know dip stroke slump of his career which is you know. He, I mean, he's a human. It's bound to happen. It's not. He's not a machine. You know, he's he's had such an unbelievable, you know, meteoric rise for club and country. You know, it, it's it's inevitable he was going to run into issues at some point. But I think you know he looks short of confidence at the moment. And, and I wonder as well whether you know because of the issues with the injuries at centre back, whether the fullbacks are being restrained a bit more and, and not and not being let off the leash to attack as much as they usually were. And then. And then, of course, then you factor in, you know, Klopp in the summer wanted Liverpool to pack more of a punch through midfield. He wanted them to have a new dimension in terms of being able to hurt teams. And the, the signing of Thiago was absolutely crucial to that. But, you know, through no fault of his own, he's barely been able to contribute in the first half of the season. And um, you know, the one the one big positive for me, I thought, from Sunday what was the performance of Thiago and, and the sight, again, of his influence on this Liverpool team growing because um you know I, I thought you know despite Liverpool's levels collectively dropping I didn't see his levels drop I thought he just kept Liverpool going he, he he never stopped trying to make things happen you know you look at the numbers no one completed more passes you know no one made more key passes no one made more interceptions or tackles I think he gained possession back 10 times you know my, my only issue would be that I think at the moment with Liverpool so short on creativity I, I want to see Thiago operating further up the pitch, and you know, with Matip should be back for, for Thursday's visit at Burnley, and I just I hope you know that that should allow Klopp to either play Henderson or Fabinho in the holding midfield role, 
and then and then push Thiago further forward because you know certainly there were times in the second half yesterday when you know he's dropping dropping so deep he was almost like a third centre half collecting the ball on the halfway line where you really want him probably 10 to 15 yards further forward where he can really hurt teams. I, I think we're all Thiago lovers, aren't we? You, you've written a piece on how he is a, the ray of hope and he could he could be key to turning things around during this difficult period, as you've mentioned there, James. Yeah, you know, Klopp joked last week, didn't he? That He said, you know, at, at the AXA training centre, they've been saying, you know, he, he's like their January signing because of that horrendous challenge from Richarlison and the fact it took him two and a half months to get over that injury at Goodison. His game time has been so limited, but you can see his influence growing with every game now. I think that was only his what, third Premier League start. It was actually his, 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 his home debut for Liverpool. But yeah, if, if Liverpool are going to win the title, keeping Thiago fit and getting him firing is going to be absolutely crucial because you know, he's, he's a world-class talent. You, you think back to the buzz and excitement when Liverpool signed him. Because you know, any, everyone had sat and watched him pull the strings for that brilliant Bayern Munich side, and Liverpool bought a player in their prime. You know, they ditched their transfer policy of of investing in in younger talent because they knew that this was a you know almost like a, a once in a lifetime shot at being able to get someone at the peak of their powers. So um, when, when you think about positives, and certainly him coming into form is one, and and also. You know, getting Jota back fit. You know, he should be back in action in early February. That's going to be massive as well because I think the other thing that struck me about Sunday's game was I thought I thought Klopp allowed the game to drift second half. I thought I thought he was slow to make changes. I don't, you know, and I, and I think a lot of that was probably down to a lack of trust and faith in the options he had at his disposal on the bench because you know, he, Minamino was ignored again. You know, I think you know he chucked on a Rigi with five minutes to go. I think probably people have almost given up hope that Origi is going to impact games like he has done previously. So, you know, I think Firmino lasted as long as he did just because Klopp didn't back any of the options he had sat behind him on the bench. Right, if, if Liverpool are going to win the, the title, they're going to need some good referees involved in games. So I'll let Kiva um, unleash on this. What, what, what a bizarre and unexplainable end to the first half. The ref was Paul Tierney. Now I was I was in the stadium. You you were watching it on telly, so you probably had a far better perspective of what of what was happening here, Kiva. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to me that the ball was played forward, and it, there was a good six seconds when you sort of, you know, the screenshots going up on Twitter after sort of suggested there was six seconds as the pass was played before the, you know, the minutes of added time was up. So it was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Because Mane looked to be through on goal, yet Lindelof seemed to pull up a little bit at the referee's whistle. But you feel like. Mane's pace would have, you know, taken him, taken him through, and that could have been a massive moment for Liverpool. Um, but obviously, one that wasn't to be because the ref blew his whistle so preeminently. But I think the thing that got to to Liverpool fans was the fact that uh, David de Gea was literally like at the ball at his feet for like thirty seconds or more, not long before that, before he got rid of it. So. It just felt like there should have been more time played on than that anyway. And it just kind of makes you a bit... I know people will say, you know, you're clutching at straws and maybe, you know, maybe we are, but it just feels like, you know, that should be something that, that referees... I, I don't know. I, I never feel like at a time as ever something that's really worked on properly like they never do it to like you know the second which is mad because in other sports everything's played to the buzzer literally like you get the time and you get you know like everyone's been watching the NFL it, they'll put t- seconds back on the clock and stuff and I'm not suggesting that that should happen but 
Um, you know, sometimes you do feel like they, they get away with it a bit too easily, the referees, when they blow up too early or, and indeed too late, because I think a lot of people were feeling, you know, United could score a late goal and it would probably be in the old Fergie time, wouldn't it? So, you know, it's just one of them. It is kind of annoying, but how do you, how do you fix that problem? Well, it, well, it's annoying for the players as well, though, isn't it? Even Jordan Henderson mentioned it at the end in his interview. Yeah, I think, you know, he sort of didn't want to get too hung up on it either because it's, it does feel like it's one of them kind of like when Klopp ever mentions the weather and everyone's like, oh, he's talking about the wind again. <laughs> it feels like the, the six seconds is also that, you know, so Henderson was quick to mention it, but also quick to sort of play it down as well. But it will have frustrated them. And, you know, he said they went in a half time and, you know, that was obviously annoying them you could see Thiago's face he looked distraught I mean he's looked distraught in every game he's played the Bundesliga referees just totally different aren't they and he, he seems to be you know getting to grips with these refs in in our league but I don't know feel like the looks on his faces could tell us that they, they're a world apart from the uh, the officiating that happens in in Germany and indeed for the, the Champions League. Right, we, we talked about some of the positive side in terms of uh, maybe Fabinho. We, we haven't really gone into Alisson yet, but proving why he's one of the most important parts of this Liverpool cog. At, at the moment, I mean, I know you said Fabinho player of the season, two hugely significant stops by Alisson. Hmm. Fabinho would say one of the players of the season. I thought Andy Robertson up until a couple of weeks ago was very consistent as well. But yeah, Alisson, um, what, I just think what he, what he does brilliantly is just get the basics right all the time I mean you would say the two saves that he makes are pretty much or two well three if you you count the one where Rashford was offside he still made the save which you know shows shows his bravery as well but you would say that their saves you'd expect a goalkeeper to make but we've seen Liverpool goalkeepers in the past not make those saves you know even though they're straight at them and his reactions and strength was there for all to see I mean he's got Liverpool out of problems there I mean if United would have won that game I'm sure it would have been sort of illustrated why there's you know a defensive masterclass and United took the chances that came along their way but I mean as I said before I just felt Liverpool just didn't perform I don't think United restricted Liverpool Uh, I just think it was a case of a lack of courage and confidence and I was just thinking it goes back to something I mean I I might be totally wrong about this but Liverpool's form's sort of fallen off a cliff ever since Jürgen Klopp started talking about fatigue and having to rest players and change players and not having enough substitutes and I just think as much as I can understand the points that he's getting across I think sometimes it, that sort of message gets inside players' heads and Liverpool have played very much like they're very tired at, at, at the moment and I, I thought against Man United there's no real excuses for that you know they, they've had 10 days off whatever it was so you know they've had, they've had enough time off to prepare for that game and yet still looked very you know, sort of slow, but it's in these moments that you know you're looking for the goalkeeper to to, to step up, and he, he did again. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he's he's the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment, worth every penny that Liverpool paid for them. I don't think Liverpool would have won the Champions League without him that season. I think he was really important presence in the team, made big saves at the at the right time. Similarly, the league you don't need win league titles without your goalkeeper either performing well or or being a top standard and he said he's the best that I've seen in, in, in sort of my my lifetime I just think he, he's got everything it's, it's going to be crucial for him to stay fit between now and the end of the season because 
you see the drop off when he's not there. I think Kuvi and Kala has done very well when he's come in, but I think Allison gives you that little bit more confidence that he might be able to win your points and and and, and uh, three points at times. And that was the case yesterday. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening to the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hoversaw, Simon Hughes, James Pierce, Kiva O'Neill. Tell your mates about it. Your weekly Liverpool pod brought to you by uh, The Athletic. But myself and, and you, James, we're, we're lucky we were in the ground yesterday. But the one thing that stood out to me was I felt it was the most significant game yet without fans. And it is often a game that is influenced by supporters, that one. It felt like the biggest game to be affected without fans being in there, from my, from my view. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it was... And I know we should be getting sadly used to it now. We're so far into the, the pandemic and so many games behind closed doors. But it, it, it was the first really big game Liverpool have had at Anfield without fans because the way that the fixtures worked out last season with playing City, United and Everton in the, you know, before, the, before the initial shutdown. Yeah, it was grim. It was soulless. And you're, you're right. I was sat there in that second half thinking this game is drifting. Liverpool are letting United break out. They're letting them get a foothold in the game. There is absolutely no chance that this happens if Anfield's got 54,000 people in it and it's spiky and it's hostile. And, you know, the, the fans just wouldn't, you know, that they would have provided that impetus that was so lacking in the second half. And that definitely cost Liverpool and, and helped United on the day because because we, we know that the fans can help. They can set the tempo and the intensity. They would have got on the players' backs in a, in a positive way in terms of spurring them on and helping them find another gear. And as it was, it was United that grew stronger and it was Liverpool that wilted. Absolutely. They didn't feel uncomfortable at all, did they? Liverpool need a performance soon. We, Burnley's on the horizon. You know, Jürgen's got to convince not just himself, but the fans and the players that there's something around the corner, Kiva. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Surely, I don't know, surely the a result against Burnley sort of convinces everyone because I feel like your last result always just sort of lingers, doesn't it? And that's why sort of we all didn't feel so bad coming into this game because we had that little FA Cup game against Aston Villa and that kind of washed away the, the defeat against Southampton, as disappointing as that was. You know, Jürgen said in his press conference on Friday that they had a meeting and, you know, they discussed... The, uh, the Southampton game at length and you know how the the struggling a little bit at the minute and you know they address those issues but I mean before that run of games at Christmas Liverpool were maybe dropping points in 
in games that they shouldn't but I don't think it's a massive worry when you look at the sort of wider picture of, of the Premier League this season you know and you, you mentioned there about fans not being in it it does feel a bit soulless and you know I think Liverpool know what they've got to do now and I don't think it'll take a lot of convincing Um I think what what's come across after every game is that Jürgen always says, whether it's I think Milner said or Henderson said that you know Liverpool are performing in the right way, they're doing the right things. It just seems scoring goals isn't sort of coming yet, but it, it's been there all season, so I'm sure it will return. But they're doing the right things and they're doing positive things. And I don't know. Yesterday sort of highlighted the Trent starting to look himself again. Andy Robertson was flying up and back, wasn't he? And I don't know, these things are just starting to, to pull together. Obviously, you know, James's piece was on Tiago and he does feel like the, the one person that can change everything. But again, you know, without two two centre-backs, is, it's proven difficult, isn't it? Um, but, you know, as I keep harping on, I think a positive result against Burnley and then you've got massive games to come and Man City are on the horizon as well. So let them have the, the win and run. But Liverpool can, you know, go on one of their own and then what you, what have you got to do? You've got to bring their win and run to an end and that's how Liverpool will reclaim the title. Let's do our weekly transfer check-in. Si. Thanks, Steve. Um, Cheers. Do, do, do you feel that Liverpool have perhaps got a couple of weeks that's, that's actually going to make or break the season? And actually, do you know anything? <laughs> he doesn't know anything. You know, you know what, Steve? They're making a hundred million pound signing. I just haven't told anybody sign. about Come it on. yet. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. If it was me and money was no object, I, I, I obviously. <laughs> Everybody can see that. You, you, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think Liverpool desperately need at least one, if not two, centre halves. They needed one at the start of the season, having obviously gone down to to three. But they're now with all the injuries, they, they still they need one, if not two. <laughs> so they're playing the season. They're trying to blag their way through the season, essentially, um, and hoping it. Well, you're playing two your two world class midfielders at centre half, so it's they're hoping you know that they're going to be able to get get through that this period. I mean, it, I I I think that if they don't sign a centre half, it's going to be very difficult for them to retain the title. Uh, but not saying that they can't, because as Kiva just said, there it's been an extraordinary season so far. But I'd I'd expect you know I'd expect Liverpool's form to improve. They've just got too many good players and. A, a, a great manager and a, and, a, and a trusted way of playing for that not to happen you know I understand the, the point before about uh, some of the players sort of getting older at the same time I, I don't think that's this the case at this particular moment it could happen at some point but, but yeah I, I think that, that Liverpool will get through this period and and finish the season strongly. You're just hoping beyond hope that from a Liverpool perspective that Virgil van Dijk can come back and make a miraculous recovery. Me and James were speaking about this earlier on this morning and just saying, you know, that obviously he's, he's put a bit of video content out there and kicking a ball and looks very comfortable. I mean, obviously the, the knee injury that he's had is usually, usually, you know, a long, a really long term one, which can take players an especially long time. But I think he's made of slightly different stuff, isn't he, van Dijk? And, if he could by some miracle sort of come back April, May, a lot of games in that period, that would give Liverpool a massive lift going into into the into the final straight. And if we're being fair and honest, you know, Liverpool have, have, have struggled in every sort of January bar bar the last January really they've they've had different results in, in, in each of the seasons when Jürgen Klopp's come in and I think that I still don't think he's quite mastered 
having a, having a, the English season in, in many ways, uh, particularly when you've got the injuries that Liverpool have got. So I can't see, uh, despite saying what I said, I can't see them making any signings. All the warnings from the club are the same. So people are just going to have to sit through it, really, um, and, and hope that hope that Van Dijk comes back sooner than is expected at the moment. I like this um, this Dubai training camp he's at. It's just just a collective of <laughs> like great players hanging around, isn't there? Seedorf and. Who else is it? Mm. Dayan Lovren's there, keeping him company. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, I'd say, I, what, I was out there for a little bit. Would you take Lovren back on a loan at the moment? Would you? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, I'd take anyone. Yeah, at this I just point. think at the, at the moment, I mean, it, it's quite clear, you know, the, the, the two younger players, the, uh, that have been getting games uh, I think at the moment it feels like yeah, Klopp doesn't have total faith in them to play them week in week out um, so yeah it's a pretty grave situation at the back there I, I, I was listening to Roy Keane before the game yesterday I'm not saying everything that he says is gospel but even world class midfielders find it hard switching positions and, um, and going into that, into that place into that area of the pitch and he, he did that uh, it's not a long-term solution, but Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool potentially are going to have to play the next sort of five months with that with that with that system in place. Right, it's the red agenda. Let's uh, finish with um, some talk about one of the articles that James has written about. Jamie Redknapp, you've you caught up with him. He's talked about moving to Liverpool as a young lad, life under Graham Souness, the the injuries that plagued his career and competition they faced from United in the in the nineties. How did you find Jamie? Yeah, do you know what he was he was brilliant company. Yeah, yeah, he was uh very generous with his his time and he's a fascinating guy. I've spoke to him a few times over the years but never never at that kind of length and um obviously he's someone who's on our T V screens an awful lot talking about football but you know what he doesn't do too often is talk about, you know, the the uh, the own personal experiences that that shaped him because you know he was one of the first pinups of the of the Premier League era really and you know when football was changing and you know suddenly players became celebrities and of course him with you know the talent and the the looks and the pop star girlfriend you know he was the the envy of millions wasn't he and um, you know, he was part of a pretty turbulent decade in Liverpool's history from you know, made me feel pretty old to think it was. 30 years ago at the weekend since he actually first signed for Liverpool, you know, bought by by Kenny Dalglish, of course, came through under Souness, played arguably his best football under Roy Evans and then was, was given the captaincy by Gerard Houllier. But, you know, I think that the sad thing and which I thought, I thought he talked amazingly well about was the fact that in terms of fulfilling his full potential, he wasn't able to do that because of the injuries that, that blighted his career and, um, to hear him talk, I had no idea that he'd he'd suffered this, you know, what should have been a relatively small injury at the age of 20 when he tore um, the meniscus in his knee, yet medics actually took out all the meniscus, which he said, you know, meant he was bone on bone in his right knee for the rest of his career. And he's convinced that led to so many of the problems that followed. So um, I think the interesting thing for me was listening to a side of it you probably don't hear very often in terms of, you know, it's easy at the time to kind of get labelled, don't they? Oh, he's injury prone. Oh, you know, you, you know, you can't count on him or whatever. And then to hear him talking about the anguish and the pain and what was it, 13 knee operations he said he went through and you know, God knows how many cortisone injections and barely been able to walk, let alone run at the end of his career when he, he finally called it a day when he was told if you keep playing, you're going to need a complete knee replacement so um, yeah he's, he's a absolutely what a lot of lovely fella Jamie Redknapp is and yeah and, he, and he's got a great outlook on life as well because 
I mean, he's not one of those people who looks back with regrets and thinks about what he didn't achieve. I think as he said himself, you know, he said he feels incredibly lucky. The fact he, he, he captained, in his words, you know, one of the greatest clubs in the world. Talked about the buzz he still gets when he sees his name on that list of captains at Anfield and played for his country. Um, so, and you no, know, and, and then since then has, has, has managed to carve out a very successful career in the media. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed putting that together. And actually sort of gets labelled a bit amongst that Spice Boys thing. Um, you wrote a book, that The Men in White Suits, Si. <laughs> as much as you think about Jamie, you know, playing, that image of him in the white suit also comes to the fore in your head straight away. Yeah, I think it's impossible not to think of that really. I mean, when I went and interviewed him, he was he was still married to Louise at the time, and there was this sort of surreal scene in his in his kitchen with you know the kids running around and the two of them there having a bit of an argument. Actually, it was <laughs> in front of me, but, but uh, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he regrets that massively. I think if he could go back and change one thing, perhaps even more so than the injuries, is the. You know the decision to to turn up at the cup final wearing those suits, just just because it lives on, it'll live on through history. And he, he was a really good player, Jamie Redknapp. I I thought. I mean, the way he sort of struck the ball, always a really clean striker. The ball, and I know sort of people sort of view him through the prism of his work with with Sky Sports News, which you know the the, the panel on Sky Sports is really competitive, isn't it? I, I think you can see the the level of competition between all the the ex players and. Um, but I actually think he, as James says, he's he's a decent fella uh, who who does care a lot about the game, still cares a lot about Liverpool. And I, I always remember sort of speaking to sort of younger players like Stephen Gerrard when he was a bit younger, and and Jamie Carragher re- recalling their sort of earliest periods at the club, and they all said what a sort of helpful and, and great pro he was in, in terms of helping their their process into the first team in, in the first couple of years because there were some bad influences at Liverpool around that time as well he was one of the more positive ones so unfortunately yeah I think I think he just get remembered for the injury that he had uh, for, for the bad injuries and as well you know the, the, the white suits um, but he, he was he was an excellent footballer mm. I thought and yeah, it's just a, just a shame for him. I think that it sort of worked out that way. But yeah, he was a great interview when I went to meet him because he, he he couldn't couldn't have helped anymore. P- picked me up from the train station and everything, which always goes <laughs> down well with me. Right, but that that's an interview from a long time ago. James has updated it. Uh, that's that's on the athletic now. And actually, there, there's a really funny story at the start of it where he talks about turning up as a young lad and he stays in the Moat House Hotel in, in Liverpool and comes out, James, and there's all sorts of police activity and I think someone's been seriously hurt or something and his dad's saying don't tell your mum <laughs> she'll make you go home <laughs> oh absolutely fantastic check it out now it's on The Athletic uh, thank you very much uh, indeed to Kiva as always uh, Cy and his brilliant transfer roundup, and uh, James <laughs> as well if you ask silly questions Steve you'll and, get a silly answer and that's the red agenda it's back in a week <laughs> The Athletic